us for Mississippi Prospects, a podcast focused on economic and community development across our state. Hosted by me, Jeff Rent, and brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council. Kyle Sexton is an award-winning marketing strategist and international speaker and the author on topics of membership development, marketing, and innovation. He was recognized in 2011 by Chamber Executive Magazine as one of the most influential innovators in the Chamber of Commerce industry. Kyle also is the author of Remembership, New Strategies for Remarkable Membership Organizations and Follow You Anywhere. 22 Little Lessons for Team Leaders. He has been marketing and selling memberships since 1996. And prior to working for Chambers of Commerce, he was the Director of Marketing and Corporate Services for a chain of Gold's Gyms location in Western Oregon. Kyle Sexton, welcome to Mississippi Prospects. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. And you've come from a long way away. I have. Well, Oregon, it's just a state of mind. Just it's, a state. It's <laughs> not my first time to Mississippi, though. I love it. It's and you've been working in the chamber world uh, for a number of years and you've had a lot of success, especially growing memberships. Uh, one thing that I've seen, you know, a lot of membership driven organizations, they love to come up with a plan. There's a lot of effort, a lot of time put into building these plans. We're going to grow our membership through, you know, X, Y and Z. But where I have seen many of them fail is in the execution side, and that's because they have failed to market it properly. Um, how can marketing especially help people with a great plan that ends up getting dusty on the shelf, grow their membership through the marketing side. Yeah. Was it uh, Muhammad Ali? I think that said, yeah, everything's a great plan until you get punched in the mouth, <laughs> yes. something like that, punched in the eye. Uh, you know, uh, good marketing actually uh, doesn't start with the plan. It starts with the good mindset and the, having the right mindset is going to be so essential to executing on any plan because no plan really goes as planned. And if you have the wrong mindset, when something goes wrong, you end up going left when you should have gone right. And um, that's where so many organizations get it wrong. And they have maybe assigned marketing or their plan to someone who's really good at details, but they're not necessarily strong on the mindset as to why. And so, it, it, you know, I find a lot of times when a plan goes awry, it, it's because the plan was left in the hands of someone who didn't necessarily create the plan. And we got to have the right, we got to have the right minds we, in, in creating the plan so that we can um, understand so that everybody who's in charge of executing on their piece of it owns that piece of it. And they also understand how we arrived at that particular plan, what the desired outcome is. And um, so that we can make, make decisions not based on the plan, but on the desired outcome with the right mindset. Um, so many, um, I, I have lots of different stories about, uh, about having the wrong mindset, but, um, but some folks are, uh, but you know, it took me, it took me 40 years to, to really understand that my brain works differently than yours does. And it took me, uh, not too much long after that to really have a great respect for how other people's minds work and what they see. That's the mindset. Uh, everyone has, has trained their own brain to see certain opportunities or threats. And uh, when, we, when it comes right down to it, that's how, that's how we digest instantly. We look at a situation and we see it either as opportunity or threat. And that really shapes our decision-making. 
uh, I was meeting with somebody, I was interviewing somebody last week and, um, and he was talking about how important he felt it was to remove negative people from his life. And what he's really talking about wasn't negativity. It was about mindset. It was about seeing opportunity and not threat. And some people have grown up around threat. And so they, so that is conditioned them either to see more of it or to, or to find opportunity. And I find that that's so fascinating when you, uh, when you really understand someone's background and how they've arrived where they are, is it because they, is it because they were running from threat or is it because they were running to opportunity? And, um, and so there's a really great, rich mix of, of both in the world. I love finding out that story and getting those people involved in the decision-making process. I feel like if people are always seeing threat, you end up in a very defensive posture and you're always on playing defense instead of, like you said, going to opportunity and being on the offense. I find the same thing. Yeah. You know, that old saying, uh, what got you here won't get you there. Uh, there are four different stages of, of, uh, of life, right? There's, there's, I'm in survival. I got to survive and then I'm alive and then I arrive and then I thrive. And so if you, if you're running from threat, you're getting out of that survival mode. I got to get to that alive mode. I got to stay alive. And then when you arrive, you, what got you here won't get you there. You've got to adapt your mindset and push for something that you really want or that you and your team really want. And you all understand why. And then it's up to the leader to really constantly remind everyone why we're doing this. Well, Simon Sinek. Perfect. Yeah. Kind of the golden circle. Yes. And I constantly challenge, you know, people that have been in on various teams that I've been in, why are we doing this? And if we can't answer that, then is it worth doing? And, you know, it makes people have to think a little deeper sometimes, I guess. One of the things that I get to do is I get to tell people who have never been in business, who work in economic development or chambers of commerce, uh, some stories about how to find their how to find their why and, and, and actually help them to better understand what the real opportunity is in front of them because they may have never been in survival mode. If you've never run a business, you've never had employees, you don't know what the panic is to wake up Tuesday morning and realize that payroll is on Friday and we, and something just punched you in the mouth. Um, so that will take, that will instantly take otherwise really good leaders from um, from this optimism and where we've arrived and we're, we're attempting to thrive in back into survival mode. And, um, and it's the, it's really important for people who have never run a business to understand the emotional toll that running a business takes, because that is to me, that's economic development. Economic opportunity is economic development. Chambers of commerce, economic development organization, um, arts organizations, um, uh, city and county governments, they all should be focused on economic opportunity for all, uh, no matter where they start from. But that to me is, is, is the why uh, of what I do and helping people understand uh, what it looks like to have economic opportunity and what it looks like also what it feels like to have the threat of that taken away from you. There seems to be a lot of focus on that, especially with uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, you know, the equity part and getting more people, giving better opportunity to more people or to all people. And I've seen a lot of organizations, 
you know, in the last year or so, uh, creating, you know, DEI uh, committees and, and trying to do genuine, uh, actionable things through those committees. Have you seen this growing, especially because the, the conversation is so critically important. If we don't start with that conversation, we're going to miss a lot of people. Yeah. Well, it, it, the question is, have I seen committees growing? I've never seen one shrink. Um, I love it when, uh, when the right mindset forms a committee, it's called a task force because there's a beginning and an end. Uh, we really need more off seasons when we uh, when we create committees to have conversations because people need to be able to free flow in and out of conversations. Um, again, what got you here won't get you there. Uh, different communities across the country are, are experiencing and, and uh, addressing diversity, equity, and inclusion in different ways. And just for context, I'm a 40 something white male for the folks who can't see me. Um, and I work in communities and I believe strongly in an economic opportunity for all. Uh, so with that being said, um, communities in um, communities in traditionally white parts of the country, um, they the tendency might be to instantly give up on the diversity, equity, inclusion concept because they say, "Well, we can't force diversity." And, and I agree, you're right. You can't force diversity from a uh, from a, uh, a visual standpoint, but you can certainly force and assist inclusion. And if you can't start with, if you can't find a place in the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation, if you can't find a place to start, uh, then I'm, then I'm, I'm going to be the one that punches you in the face because I believe so strongly in economic opportunity for all. I see how empowering it is in different parts of the country. And I, I get a little sad when when economic development becomes too much of an institutional conversation, because I like the small business part of economic development. When a business grows, when, when, a, when the revenue of a business grows to that and it necessitates hiring of somebody, that to me is economic development, that, that economic opportunity to hire someone who may or may not have the skills yet that you need, but you coach them, you train them, you teach them. And yes, you might be teaching and training and coaching your future competition, but that's what makes America great. And uh, we just got to live with that. I, I worked for employers who who had who forced me to sign a, a non-compete clause and um, at a very early age. And I had already had um, I had already had a, a, a very specific set of self-made experiences that, and I chose that particular industry, um, and and that didn't sit well with me for years. I always I I think that's a fear-based mindset. I am afraid that I am going to bring you into my business and you're going to steal some part of it. I believe in the abundance mindset, and I think that's where our opportunity uh, really. Uh, shows its best light. You talked about getting punched in the mouth. And I think a lot of people got punched in the mouth last year, especially, and even up to today uh, due to COVID-19 didn't discriminate. I mean, it affected everybody in very unique ways. Uh, saw some businesses actually grow. Financial sector uh, stayed very busy administering uh, relief funds. What are employers doing? Have you, How have you seen them change their mindset due to this? And is it something that's actually going to stay with us now, this new mindset? Oh, great question. I'm seeing a lot more automation, um, whether it's um, community organizations 
or small businesses, lots, lots more automation and automation from and, and systems planning. We got to have the ability to get, you know, if, if, if we see an economic opportunity as an employer, um, we need the ability to hire quickly and train people up quickly. I've seen a lot. I saw a lot of focus on culture from small business um, because uh, it, while so many parts of the country didn't know at what point they were going to be shut down or opened back up, and I'm coming from Oregon. We just opened up last week. Wow. So um, I'm so happy to be outside of Oregon right now. And the rest of the world is like, well, we've been like this for a while. Well, I haven't been out. So I'm a little bit pasty white. Uh, yeah, I think uh, new, I think businesses have a new uh, kind of a base level operation in their own mind of uh, if this happens again, um, we can shrink down to this level or, um, you know, they, they've got a parachute to pull now because they've had to pull it. Um, on certain aspects of their business, um, whether whether it becomes you know outsourcing uh, certain things, automating other things, uh, I've been taking you know I'm a speaker, consultant, and trainer in my industry, and when people can't get together anymore, I have to figure out new ways to serve in my even in my own business, and so I I took what I train people to do what I teach them to do that they have told me in the past that they want to do it themselves uh, and turned it into a service so that they don't have to do it themselves. So I'm doing content development for economic development organizations and chambers of commerce. We create licensable content that they can plug and play and publish um, and done for you content that is uh, what we call um, uh, uh, regionally agnostic. So it can uh, plug and play in the US or Canada and you can uh, change it up, edit it however you like. So rather than teaching people how to uh, how and why they need to be publishing content, I actually took what I was teaching people and turned it into a service that then scales because I didn't have that ability. Additionally, I'm building membership automation, uh, membership sales automation sequences, softwares. It's what I'm at this particular conference to talk about um, uh, here in uh, Biloxi and the uh, the opportunity for businesses and organizations to look at the things that they do every single day. And how can we make this more efficient? How can we build it into software? How can we adapt what we sell to how people buy so that we can remove some of the clunky friction that is there? in favor of efficiency and a better customer experience. Because in, in the last year, one of the things that's been so um, underappreciated that is now so appreciated by small business owners is the loyalty of their favorite customers. And customers uh, and their, their clients have expressed uh, to their favorite small businesses or organizations, either by renewing, rebuying, uh, or just sending a note of encouragement uh, or sharing um, sharing things uh, about businesses that um, that they never really had before. They've never really been publicly advocating for some of their favorite small businesses. And now 
Um, so many consumers have really come to the rescue of their favorite small businesses. And that's such a, such a beautiful story uh, to tell. And, and uh, you really see a closer connection now between people who are starting something and, and their customers who are going to help them make it happen. So talking about membership, and we were chatting before we started recording, the organization that I'm a part of, the Greater Jackson Chamber Partnership, you know, we've actually seen a, a growth as we're, I hate to use the phrase, but for lack of a better term, coming out of COVID, or at least in this period of COVID-19. And a lot of it had to do with uh, us finding, redefining our value to our members. Where did people need to start, especially membership driven organizations in finding that new value and mission in order to grow their membership? Because I know your background, uh, you've had a lot of success in this area. Well, there's some membership math that, that you can use to break down why some membership, why some organizations grew and others didn't. Um, the math is very simple. Membership equals subscription plus community. Business owners find it very lonely at the top. And so for, uh, for chambers of commerce and economic development organizations to get down to their absolute base in terms of communications, the way that they did starting in March of 2020, uh, to really focus their communications on advocating for business owners. We got business owners, in regionally to look and lean in and watch because there was a filter there. There's a filter that they needed in this sea of information. They needed someone to look at this information and say, what is the bare minimum that I need to know that I can actually trust? And so they looked to economic development organizations and chambers of commerce to filter out what was coming out of government, to filter out what was coming out of social, uh, social networks, all this information, can you filter it out for me? And so business owners really started to lean in. So the organizations who grew over the last year um, are those who were easier to work with, frankly, and those who understood that membership is not subscription. The membership is subscription plus community. And the organizations that grew figured out very quickly how to keep their communities together. Not, I'm not talking about a regional community. I'm not talking about your city and county. I'm talking about communities of people like me. And that's not people like me, Kyle Sexton. It's people like me, whoever is saying that to themselves. They define it as their own in their own way. People who wear shoes like me, people who go to the same barber as me, people who go to the same church as me, people who send their kids to the same school as me. Whatever they, whatever they define uh, as their relatable identity. Uh, people like me do things like this. That is a community. And for uh, business organizations to recognize that they have different communities within their organization and figure out ways that they can stay together, they can keep the community in touch, in contact, either visually or through communications or through podcasts. Uh, but to how, how can we filter out all the information? How can we still feature the people who need to be seen? Um, in, in, in our, in our region as community building. Um, so there's certain milestones that, uh, that need to be recognized in order people feel part of a community. They need to be, feel like they're still growing. They're still developing. There's some ascension of, uh, of status or of development 
or of certification. And so the organizations who grew are those who figured out how to still recognize those milestones, how to keep growing people, how to keep uh, offering more uh, services, not everything to everybody, but only those services to their core audience. And so business owners, those who have been the most lonely at the top have uh, really been leaning in to watch. So it's only natural that they would also join because it's, it's another level. It's another step in the relationship. And to go back to a point you made, you know, talking about going back to the basics or, you know, start one thing we did and my team did, we printed off our list of members and started calling. And we had so many small businesses or just uh, many of our members at all levels said nobody had called to check on them. And it helped us find how we could assist them and be there for them and be a tool for them by just listening, you know, what are your needs? And it was, it was great for us too, because, you know, membership driven organizations have struggled off and on. Uh, I felt like chambers were having trouble defining themselves and it forced us into that new mindset. I I love hearing you say that um, because now if you go back to those same people and say, who called you, they're going to say the chamber is the only one, or they can say the chamber is the first one that called. And um, I just, I just think that's so beautiful. And I, I really appreciate personally, Jeff, that you and your team did that because I've been telling since 2001, I've been telling chamber audiences and small business audiences alike that chambers of commerce are economic insurance. And when COVID-19 hit and it shut down so many communities across the world, um, if you hadn't done that, I would have been wrong. And I hate being wrong on things <laughs> like that. So, but if, if this was our time to shine, uh, the community organization, this was our time to get to work, to do that thing that we've told people that we do for years. And you're growing as an organization over the last year is an indication that people looked at you and they said, you did what you said you would do. You did what you said you would do. I didn't believe it. I believe it now. I'm in. It's so it's so frustrating when um, everybody makes empty promises these days. You really have a different lens when you get to see how people are in crisis. People got to see leaders in crisis. And when some organizations were struggling to, to find their identity, it's because they attached it to networking or they attached it to events and gatherings or God forbid parades, pageants or pancake feeds. And they didn't attach their identity to community building, to convening leaders and influencers, to being a catalyst for positive change in the community, to having courage. They didn't attach their identity to being current. They didn't attach their identity to being a champion for the, for the, for, uh, for those who need a champion in their community. Um, so it, th- those organizations who are a peas organization, parades, pageants, and pancakes feed, pancake feeds, they found themselves trying to figure out who they're going to merge with that has a vision for what they're supposed to be doing. And they almost always found a C's organization, a catalyst, a convener, and a champion that they were going to uh, attach themselves to, or at least mimic. You know, we've talked a lot about from the chamber perspective, but how should businesses adapt and change when they see now growth opportunities? And I think a lot of them are starting to emerge again, and they weren't what people probably predicted a few years ago. Well, it's hard to answer that question with so many with so many so much variety uh, of of businesses. Um, but I'll tell you this, I see a lot more businesses who are doing um, 
who are doing a lot more financial legwork before they uh, venture into new offerings or new markets. And um, by that, I mean, they're, they're uh, less likely to, to shoestring their idea um, in terms of budgeting um, or, they're, or they're going to pursue the self-funding initiative first, um, which is something that I specialize in. If you don't have the budget to do your big expensive goal uh, or objective, you need to find the self-funding um, approach to that. And that is go to the people who are going to fund it, bef- who are going to buy it before it's ready. And every business has this market, whether you see it or not, whether you understand it or not, you have this early adopter market. Um, it's 16% of any market, the early adopter. And to find the early adopter, you, you, you're going to show them 70% of what your idea is. And they're going to cut you off and they're going to say, I'm in, I get it. I like it. I'll share it. And that early adopter is somebody who doesn't need it to be finished, polished and pretty. They will, uh, they get it. They, they're not going to be tapping their fingers, worried about the details. Uh, and so they'll support you financially in your endeavor before it's finished. That's a self-funding initiative that can help you test your market. Um, And we do this with beta testing new offerings all the time in community development organizations and small businesses. Uh, I help organizations build offers that are self-funding so that uh, we can uh, so that we can reach different people at different stages. So the next stage, no matter your, if you're a small business pursuing a new, a new market or it's a new offer to your existing market, the next stage is to get it finished and polished and pretty with the assistance and the feedback of those early adopters who want to help you get it across the finish line. That once you're across the finish line, we've got the early majority. Now, these folks are much more practical. You've got to have your service dialed in and they're not going to pre-fund. Uh, they're not going to help you seed launch. They're, they're going to buy the thing finished and polished and pretty. Uh, so th- once you go to the early majority, you're also going to get the attention of the late majority. And the combination of these two markets, 34% each, represent the mob. The mob's only job is to take you down, to tear you down and to show you where the typo is, to uh, t- to tell you all the reasons why your thing won't work. So if you don't go pursue the feedback of your early adopter market, you're going to be surprised when you get feedback from the uh, from the early majority or the late majority market that is critical of you, critical of your offer, critical of something about it. So it's really important to go to those early adopters, get their feedback and use that as an indicator that this is going to be there's going to be more of this to come. And we can either fix this now, we can improve it or we can communicate around it. So that people understand what to expect, our, our future customers understand what to expect, or we can just give up on the whole thing altogether if it becomes cost prohibitive. But in, in creating that new offering, understanding that we don't want to go to the top of the mountain and broadcast, hey, we got this new thing. You want to go to those people who have supported you along the way, people who understand what you're trying to accomplish and are are behaving like early adopters so that they can help you get your new thing across the finish line. And is it because you started with the right mindset that you get these people on board, the early adopters? Yeah, it's an iterative mindset. 
So it allows you this flexibility to create something and then change it along the way. And that's different. You know, when you have, I work with a lot of, um, a lot of what I call type A organizations where they are all about the details. Everybody on the team is all about the details. And I'm looking around for the one person on the team who is willing to make a mess. That's the person that I want to create with because we've got a lot of people who are there to clean up that mess once we create it, but we got to have the right mindset. And that is let's get it going and then get it right. And there's so many people who don't want to get are so afraid of getting it wrong that they won't get it going. So that's the order of things. Get it going and then get it right in iterations. Let's make a change. Be open to that's where good leadership comes in. It's okay to make a mistake. I want to make mistakes, but I also want to learn along the way. And just because we make a mistake doesn't mean it was a mistake to do it. It doesn't mean it was a mistake to hire you. It just means we're all learning from this. So if people feel comfortable, if they feel like they're in a safe place with a safe leader, then they are making mistakes. They're failing forward instead of instead of uh, not creating and not being a part of creating value for their market by holding back. So we've got to find those people who are willing to make the mistakes, willing to make a mess. Um, I always say, never let the people who are holding the brooms and the shovels tell you how many elephants are going to be in the parade because they are the people who don't want a mess. We can't have that mindset in the creative process. We've got to be willing to make a mess in order to have a good parade. He's helping us find the right mindset. Kyle Sexton, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Mississippi Prospects is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council, the Mississippi Development Authority, Cooperative Energy, Greater Jackson Alliance, Entergy, Mississippi Power, Tennessee Valley Authority, Watkins and Eager, Butler Snow, Jones Walker, and produced by MWB Studios. If you have questions or comments, join us on Twitter at MEDC Info.